Amen. Well, good morning, City Light. Good to see you guys. Like Eric said, my name is Doug, and I love getting to follow Jesus with you guys. Um, uh, am I on? Am I good to go? Sweet. Okay, you can hear me. Excellent. We're going to start, actually, with some photos this morning. Really simple. I'm going to show you a photo, and you can try to tell me who it is. Here comes the first one. That is the most epic mall cop to ever walk the face of the earth, um, also known as Paul Blart mall cop. Uh, here comes another one. This one may not be quite as famous. This is Secret Service agent Tim McCarthy, who was famous for protecting President Ronald Reagan in 1981. McCarthy stepped in front of Reagan, took a bullet to his chest, and saved the president's life. Thankfully, McCarthy himself also survived. I was doing a little research on the Secret Service. There's over 3,200 Secret Service agents, and they're spread out among 150 offices, both here in the United States and abroad. Um, they investigate and respond to over 1,500 presidential death threats per year. Uh, they have to always be with the president in every place at every time, including the bathroom. And they regularly uh, will film and record the president in public places and keep an ever-increasing log of the president in case it has to be reviewed during a time of emergency. Ironically, it was President Abraham Lincoln who established the Secret Service on April 14, 1865, just hours before he was assassinated, before the Secret Service could get fully functioning. Lincoln could have used a Tim McCarthy. Lincoln could have used a Mordecai that we just read about. As you guys know, we're tracking through the ancient book in the Bible. It's called Esther. And we are looking at what God says to us through that book. This morning, we come to the story of a man named Mordecai. Now, Mordecai didn't step in front of a speeding bullet for the king, but he did save the king's life. Mordecai was kind of like an ancient secret service agent who discovered this assassination plot to kill the king. He exposed it, told the king about it. But when Mordecai did that, he didn't get rewarded. He didn't get acknowledged. In fact, it seems that Mordecai's heroic act went unseen. And we might ask, okay, that's an interesting story, but what does the story of some guy named Mordecai, written 2,500 years ago, mean to us today? I think partially it matters to us because it's just an inspirational story, right? Just like Tim MacArthur stepping in front of a bullet for the president inspires us to be brave and to protect others, so can Mordecai. But I think with the Mordecai story, there's more to it. There's something about God that we can see in this story. Now, to be sure, God isn't seen and God isn't named in the story, but I think the story was written so that we might see the unseen God. So that we might name the unnamed God. In these five short verses, yes, Eric, five short verses, we see, I think, three attributes of God. And those three attributes of God still impact us today. Because, like, who among us hasn't ever been in a situation where we know the right thing to do, but we also know if we do that right thing, we're probably going to pay a cost for it. Who's never been in a situation where you know the right thing to do, but when you do the right thing, you know it's going to go unseen and unrewarded? In those moments, we need to know God. We need to know that God is the God of the details, 
He's the God of the unseen, and he's the God of the waiting. God of the details, God of the unseen, and God of the waiting. First, let's look at God of the details. If you've got your Bible, it's worth opening them or pulling out your phone and opening that app. Let's go to Esther chapter 2, verse 19. It says this, Now when the virgins were gathered together the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. This tells us that Queen Esther has been in power at least for some length of time. Long enough to put Mordecai in a place of leadership. She did it somehow. We don't know how. But now Mordecai's in leadership. Those words, sitting at the king's gate, was like shorthand or code for he now has an official leadership position. Skip down to verse 21. It says, In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bichthon and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai. So Mordecai's just doing his job. And on that day, he just so happened to go to work. And he just so happened to hear Bigthan and Teresh making their assassination plot. It happened to come to his ears that day. So you can kind of start to see there's details that are coming together here. Verse 22 continues and it says, And he, Mordecai, told it to Queen Esther. So just like Mordecai just so happened to be in the right place at the right time at his job, Queen Esther also just happened to be in the right place at the right time. Previously, she was just this lowly Jewish girl living in a foreign empire, but now she has risen to the place of power, the queen of the empire. And so she's in the right place at the right time. And Mordecai just so happened to be her bigger cousin who had been raising her and teaching her all throughout her life. And so now when he just so happens to discover this assassination plot, he can pass it on to the second in command, the queen of the empire. And then it says that Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. So Esther just so happens to share the assassination plot with the king and let him know, hey, it was Mordecai who discovered this and told you about the would-be assassins. They have some officials investigate it. They found it to be true, and they end up hanging the would-be assassins. Whenever you think about the sheer complexity and the volume of details that had to be planned and performed for this moment to happen, it's really quite staggering. From Mordecai caring for Esther as she grew up, as she grew up, to Esther being like the one and only young virgin who won the king's favor in his like terrible ancient bachelor contest that he had, to Mordecai being put in leadership and getting this job at this time, to him showing up to work on the right day in the right time, to him being able to talk to Esther and Esther being able to talk to the king. And so the details go. When you think about all those details, we have to admit that this God, he is the God of details. Think back to some of the significant moments in your life. Maybe it's the day you were born or the day you graduated or when you won that game or you got that job. And if you slow down long enough to think about all the details that had to weave and work together for that moment to happen... Man, like our brains can burst, the mind blown, and our hearts have to come to this place where we just admit we are not in charge. We are not in control. Like Mordecai, we have to place our lives in the hands of the God of the details. 
Whenever I think of significant moments in my life, one that comes to mind is when I got to propose to my now wife, Whitney. Uh, I took a knee on a little path next to a big rock on this like outlook in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains just outside of Boulder, Colorado. I was nervous. It was a blue moon night and praise the Lord, she said yes. Whenever I think about all the details that actually had to come together for that moment to happen, I actually put them down. I wrote down as many as I could think of and they're on the slide behind me. I'll just share a few of those details with you, give you a few highlights. First detail is my mother-in-law actually had to stay quiet and not tell the secret plan to Whitney. That's a detail. It's also a miracle, just so you know. (laughs) Other plans, I had to have three safe flights from Dallas to Denver, from Denver to Omaha, and then from Omaha back to Denver. They had to be safe. They had to be on time. If any of them were late, the plans could fall apart. Plus, I mean, I had to work for months, like get a job, work, make some money so that I could afford a diamond ring to propose to her. And then I had to have conversations with her and figure out what kind of ring does she like. But then I had to get the ring without her knowing that I had actually purchased the ring. And then I had to like travel through all that airfare and staying and all that sort of stuff without actually losing that ring, right? Other details, like we had to like get reservations at her favorite restaurant just outside of Boulder. The car actually had to work and not break down. That was another miracle. There were so many details. It was only one moment in my life, but it was literally preceded by thousands of details. When I stop and think about all of those details, I could come to a few different conclusions. I could conclude that, man, I am really good at planning. That's just not the case. And even if I were, I can't control the air traffic control in Dallas and Denver and Omaha. I could come to the conclusion, oh my goodness, there's just so many details, I can't handle them all, I should just give up now and not even try. But that wouldn't really help, and I'd miss out on the joy of getting to propose to Whitney. Or I could come to the conclusion that this is a lot of details, but God, I'm going to lean into you because you're the God of the details. I can trust you with all of these details and know that you are sovereign and you're going to work through them and in them. You are the God of details. God shows that to us here with the story of Mordecai and God tells that to us all throughout the Bible. Let me just highlight a few verses for you. Psalm 37 verse 23 says, The steps of a man are established by the Lord. Proverbs 16 verse 9, The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. How many steps did you take from your vehicle to your chair this morning? Chances are you don't know unless your uh, watch is actually telling you right now. God establishes each and every one of those steps. Psalm 31 verse 15 says, my times are in your hand. Psalm 139, you God, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Other passages like Isaiah chapter 46 say that God is sovereign and in control over the rise and the fall of world leaders and kingdom rulers. And he is sovereign in control of the flight path of a single bird. In Matthew 10, verse 29, Jesus says that God knows when even just one little bird falls to the ground. The very next verse, Jesus says that God knows the very number of the hairs on your head. Gentlemen, admittedly, that's easier for God for some of you than it is for others. 
Acts 17 says that God determines the times and places and boundaries of where we live. God is a God of details. It's all over the Bible from beginning to end that no detail escapes God's notice. The details of your happiest days and the details of your saddest days. When all of the details just work together and come together and they pack into your life like a moving truck that looks like Tetris. Or whenever all the details seem to fall apart like the last block pulled on the Tower of Jenga. God sees. God knows. He's the God of details. But maybe, maybe you hear all those Bible verses about God being sovereign and God being in control and um, the God of the details. And you say, okay, that's true. That's right. But it doesn't feel personal. Right? He's just like an ancient clockmaker, this master puppeteer in the sky, just kind of moving things around. He's just a deity of details. But I think this is where the story of Mordecai is golden for us. Because it's a story, it helps us enter in and actually know and feel and be able to see that the God of the details is also the God of the unseen. This is where it gets personal. The God of the details is also the God of the unseen. Even though a thousand different details had to weave and work together together for Mordecai to save the king, Mordecai got no reward, no medal of honor, no promotion, no accolades. Mordecai's act of kindness to this pompous and arrogant king seemed to go unnoticed, unseen. Look at Esther chapter 2, verse 23. It says, When the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men, the would-be assassins, were both hanged on the gallows. And it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. So yeah, the two guys who were going to kill the king, they themselves got killed. But then for Mordecai's act of bravery, it got written down in a book that was called the Chronicles. That's probably a boring old history book. Maybe the king kept it around for bathroom reading or something like that. Or maybe on the bedside table in case he just couldn't sleep at night. But usually history tells us that kings in this time, they would immediately reward someone who did something like this. Throw them a parade. Give them some rewards. Give them some money. Kings would find a way to tell the guys who saved their lives, thank you, I see you, I appreciate that. But this time, thus far, Mordecai's unseen by the king. But we've got to remember, church, that this story, it was written by God's people and it was written for God's people. It's in the Bible, right? God's word, God's book. And so God's people then and us today, we can also know these other stories of God. A story like Genesis chapter 16. In Genesis chapter 16, Abraham and Sarah, who are God's people, they totally mistreat and abuse and neglect their Egyptian slave named Hagar. And it's terrible. It's wrong that they even had a slave in the first place. But then what they do to her is even worse. First, they require her to sleep with Abraham. And then Hagar gets pregnant from that, and they resent her, and they reject her for it. Genesis 16, verse 6 says, Then Sarah dealt harshly with her, and Hagar fled from her. So the very people who should have been kind and gentle, God's own people, 
Instead, they were harsh and abusive. So Hagar, this outsider, a slave, she runs for her life, pregnant and alone. She's out in the desert where nobody could see her, completely unseen. And it's only a matter of time before she and the baby in utero dies of thirst. But then Genesis 16 tells us something, that God shows up. And God speaks to her graciously and tenderly. And God even gives a word of promise for this baby that was in her womb at the time. So when nobody else cared for Hagar, God cared. When nobody else would protect Hagar, God protected her. When nobody else saw Hagar, God saw her. And so Hagar's response to this is in Genesis chapter 16 verse 13. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here in the desert where I have been unseen, I am left alone. Truly here in this place, I have seen him who sees me. I have seen him who looks after me. In Hagar's worst moment, Her worst day when all the details went the wrong way. When all the details wove and worked together for her pain instead of her pleasure. In that moment, God saw her. And she saw God. She called him the God who sees. It's a beautiful and really a a shocking story because the person who names God here in Genesis chapter 16 is an outsider, a female Egyptian slave But she names him the God who sees. The God who sees the unseen. He's the God of the unseen. Can I ask you, what has gone overlooked or unseen in your life? Think about that for a moment. Just just linger there. What has gone unseen or overlooked in your life? Maybe for you, like Hagar, it's a place of pain. Your family has rejected you, or your friends laugh at you. You're mistreated, alone, feels like nobody sees. Those moments where the grief is overwhelming, the tears won't stop coming. But Genesis 16 and Mordecai's story says, God sees you in those moments. Or maybe it's those times when you honored God with your integrity at work. When a coworker took credit for something that you did, when you didn't click through to that website, when you intentionally chose to not cheat, even though your classmate, classmate was like hanging his answers off of the desk, whenever you maybe walked away from the fight or maybe you stepped in front of the bullet and it went unseen, but God sees. He's the God who sees the unseen. I don't know about you, but like in my life, when I think about my overlooked or unseen moments, like some of them are pleasurable, some of them are painful, but often it's like still difficult for me to like trust him, to say, yeah, you see me, God. And the reason I find that difficult is that he's still unseen, right? Like I can read stories, the story of Hagar, the story of Mordecai, and I can go, okay, he sees them, but I still can't see him. In Genesis 16, like, God showed up. He came through an angel to Hagar, and she got to see that angel. I haven't seen God seen God. You know what I mean? So sometimes it's still difficult to trust that the God of the unseen sees me, that the God of the details has life under control. Sometimes, maybe like Mordecai, I feel like I'm still waiting around. 
I am waiting for God. Which leads us to the third attribute of God that I think we see in this story of Mordecai. And that's this. God is the God of waiting. He's the God of waiting. Let me give you a spoiler alert. In the story of Esther, Mordecai's act of bravery doesn't go unseen forever. In fact, it pops back up about a year later at like the absolutely most strategic time that it possibly could. One night, the king can't sleep, so he asks a servant to read him the boring history book on his bedside table. And whenever he hears that, he hears about Mordecai's act of bravery. And I don't want to give away too much of the story, but Mordecai gets rewarded very handsomely. He gets taken care of. But Mordecai had to wait a year before any of that got seen, before any of that got rewarded. And that year of Mordecai's life, just so you know, it was a terrible year. Again, I don't want to give away too much of the story. We'll get there in the coming weeks. But it was a year of terror. It was a year of waiting. It was a year of wondering if God sees, if God cares, will God respond and bring justice to his people? A year of waiting and wondering if the God of the details just forgot all the details. But God is the God of waiting. God is the God of the very thing I like to do least. Like, if you want to see me struggle, just change the plans and make me wait. You know, like, if you want to see me nervous, which usually looks like I get really still and silent and the thoughts are racing through my head, just change the plans and make me wait. But I'm sure all of you, you're super patient people. You know, you guys, you are all so patient. You just love it when the line at the drive-thru is long. You love it whenever your coffee isn't ready on time. I'm sure you guys, you just love it when your doctor's appointment is at 10 a.m., but then it's 1045, and there you are still sitting in the waiting room, right? You guys love those moments. And husbands, I'm sure you just love walking around with your wife and waiting on her while she shops for that perfect outfit, you know. And wives, I'm sure you just love telling your husband about some house project that you need him to do and then waiting for four or five or six decades for it to actually get done. <laughs> we all just love to wait, don't we? And here it is. God is the God of waiting. Some of you are reading through the Bible right now. Like there's a bunch of people in our church doing this read through the Bible plan. And just first of all, props to you, okay? You're like in Leviticus, don't give up, don't give up. But as you're reading through the Bible, have you noticed that it seems like God just never gets in a hurry? He creates the universe not in a hurry. He tells Noah to build an ark not in a hurry. He works through really messed up people like Abraham and Sarah, not in a hurry. And when God is not in a hurry to us, that feels a lot like waiting. Just like Mordecai, through the worst year of his life, waiting and wondering if the God of the details must have lost his calendar. Just like God's people who had to wait for 400 years of silence, so let me just tell you, in your Bible, the last book of the Old Testament is Malachi. And the first book of the New Testament is Matthew. And there's a time gap between those two. And that time gap is 400 years. And it was 400 years of silence from God. I mean, 400 years is longer than we've even existed as a nation. And God was stone cold Steve Austin silent for 400 years. The people of God just had to wait. 
And as they waited, maybe they read Bible verses like Psalm 25, verse 3. Indeed, none who wait for you will be put to shame. Psalm 37, verse 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Or maybe they got frustrated and they prayed Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Or maybe they leaned into Isaiah chapter 40 and put it on their coffee mugs if they had them back then. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Those who wait for the Lord. Not those who rush the Lord. Not those who run out in front of the Lord. But those who wait for the Lord. And they waited 400 years. Silence. Now we get to be on the other end of the story and we get to look back and know that God broke through like Jesus showed up, right? I mean, it had been a long time of silence, but the voice of God broke through loud and clear in the person of Jesus. And this is how Galatians chapter 4 describes the arrival of Jesus. Chapter 4 verse 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. When did Jesus arrive on earth to live out his mission? Right on time, the fullness of time. When did Jesus arrive on earth? After what seemed like a lot of long waiting. And why did Jesus come at the fullness of time after what seemed like a lot of long waiting? So that we might become children of God. In City Light, as children of God, we know that our God, he is the God of the details. Listen, if God can coordinate and orchestrate and work and weave all the details necessary to put a baby in the womb of a virgin mother at just the right time, the fullness of time, and if God can sovereignly plan and execute all the details of an unseen carpenter kid's life for his first 30 years, and if God can manage all the details of miracle after miracle after miracle, followed by persecution and suffering and bleeding and death on a cross, and if God can manage all the details of a back-from-dead, tomb-rolling-away resurrection, then God can handle the details of your life. If God can handle all those details, then he can handle the details of your life. He's worthy of our trust. He's worthy of our faith. He's worthy of our waiting. I don't know about you, but it so often feels like I, I'm still waiting and I'm going, oh, Jesus, would you come back? After the last four or five days of any time you look at the news and you see the suffering going on in Ukraine and around the world, it's like, oh, Jesus, come back. Jesus, how much longer till you show back up and you show us you're the only king? Jesus, how much longer till you open the scroll, Revelation chapter 4, and you show that your history book, and you read the details, and you right every wrong, and you bring justice, and you exalt yourself over all the nations, how much we long for the return of Jesus, and yet here we are waiting. And I think if there's anybody who's waiting in this time that we could maybe connect with, it would be the Christians in Ukraine. Earlier this week, I read a article that just stood out to me. I was like, I think this is the application of Esther chapter 2 right here. Let me just read. The, the mission of our church is to multiply disciples of Jesus and churches for the glory of Jesus. And so we always get excited about new churches, church plants, anywhere in the world. So this is from actually a church planter who is in the Ukraine. So just listen to what he wrote. 
He said, our vision is to see this city, Kiev, of nearly 5 million reached and renewed with the gospel through new churches, beginning with 30 by 2030. The city needs five times the number of churches it currently has just to reach a 1 to 5,000 church to inhabitant ratio. These are the kind of details that church planters talk about. But do you see that they've got details? They're leaning into the God of details. God, you've called us to this city and we're looking at it. Statistics, at least until this war, say that Kiev would reach 6 to 7.5 million citizens by 2040. So they've got their details. But look at the next sentence. Yesterday's events put a pause on this and a thousand other plans. All of a sudden, the details, the, the vision, the dreams, the strategy, it's like the Jenga block just got pulled out. Things like that change the details. But I love his response. He continues and he writes, The enemy, capital E, this is Satan, the enemy and the tyrants who serve him would love to sow fear, panic, and despair. The enemy, Satan, he's the father of lies. The family resemblance continues. In this case, it's amazing. This is a church planter on the ground in the Ukraine. The lie is that someone other than Christ is king. The depraved mind of man would like to believe and have others believe that he can control fates, lives, nations, and so on. But there is only one who controls the flow of history. And then he quotes Psalm 103, verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens. Just like the Lord establishes each, each of our steps, from the car to our seat, wherever we might be. So the Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. So he leans into the God of the details, even though all of ours just got changed. Now he's leaning and saying, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to wait on you and look for you. But I appreciate his honesty, too. He says, that's not always easy to remember when bombs are exploding. The noise of the lie can get loud, so the truth needs to go deeper. And City Light, I think the same can be true for us, though we might not be in Ukraine or a war-torn place right now. The noise of the lies around us, the noise of the distraction of our lives, they can get loud. And when they get loud, we tend to forget that God is the God of the details. He's in control of our lives. We tend to forget that the God sees us even when we're unseen. We tend to forget that God is worth our trust. He's worth our waiting. And so we need the truth to go deeper into our souls. So can I invite you now, let's respond first just by praying. Would you pray with me? And let's ask the Lord to work these truths into our hearts so that the truth goes deeper. Father, right now we ask that you would be working through your Holy Spirit. Would you assure us that you are the God of the details? Pray for anyone in the room who they might feel like the details are weaving and working together for their pain or they're falling apart. Oh God, would you let them know that you see them, you know them, you are with them even in that. You are sovereign for them even in that. And you can bring good into this, bring good out of this for the glory of Jesus. And Father, we also pray that for Christians in Ukraine, Christians in Russia, Men and women and children who are making disciples and sharing the gospel and they want to see more people come to faith in Jesus. But it's crazy right now. And the noise of the lies are really loud, loud like bombs. Oh God, would you give them strength to look to you and see you on your throne. 
that your throne is firmly established in the heavens and you rule over all and you will still exalt Jesus Christ. You will still work through them and their churches to bring your kingdom, your kingdom come and your will be done. Father, I also pray for anyone in the room who just might feel unseen. In particular, anyone who just feels overwhelmed by the wave after wave of busyness, the wave after wave of grief, the wave after wave of loss, and they feel unseen, would you let them know that you are the God who sees? Even when no one else sees, you see. And you enter into it, you understand, you know you are with them. And then, Father, for all of us, would you give us the grace to wait on you? Would you build patience in our lives, knowing that you are worth the wait? Yes, it's true. You are not slow concerning your promises. You do not tarry. You did not get distracted. Jesus will return and make all things right. Jesus will return, and he will be glorified. Help us, God, to trust you and wait for you. And in the meantime, serve, love, and make disciples for the glory of Jesus. We pray in his name.